You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. You might not be saved. I mean, if you were going to die in the next several minutes, are you sure you would go to heaven? Well, John is going to tell us, and he wants you to be sure today, not next week, not the week after, but today. He wants you to be sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that salvation is yours by faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. By faith and faith alone. Because Jesus died for that privilege that you have, eternal life. What questions about the Christian faith have you had or do you have? One of them may be about salvation and how do you know you are saved. In today's message, Pastor Dave shares about how John tells you how you can know for sure that you are saved, as well as other encouraging words. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 John chapter 1 through 4 as he continues his message. Introduction. says, I write these so that your joy may be full. The second reason he wrote the epistle is found in chapter 2, verse 1a. He says, my little children, there he goes, right off the chute. My little children. This is endearing, folks. This is really endearing the way John is writing to us. He said, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Wow. Do you know we have the victory over sin? You know, the victory over sin is found in chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we do not sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Walking in the light means to be open. It means to be honest. It means to be sincere. It means to have a sincere outlook on life and sincere with yourself, sincere with God, and sincere with others. And Paul wrote about this in the beautiful book of Philippians. He says in Philippians 1, verse 10, I'm going to read 9 and 10, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Sincerity. Sincerity. If you can't stand to be tested by the light of God, then you're not sincere because you're not walking in the light. When you walk in the light, nothing's hidden. There's nothing hid in the light. Turn the light on. Go into a dark room and turn the light on. Nothing's hidden. Walking in the light means to be honest. Honest with God, honest with yourself, honest with others. The light reveals our sins so that we can immediately confess them. In Christ, I'm no longer a slave to sin. Sin no longer has dominion over me. Jesus broke the chains of the bound me because of sin. Now guess what? I have a choice. 
I have a choice, and the choice is I have. I don't have to sin. Before I knew Jesus Christ, that was my nature. I was by nature a sinful creature. But now, because of Jesus Christ, my sins have been taken away. I have a choice. But, Paul, John says, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. Well, okay, John, what am I going to do then? I do slip up once in a while. I do make a mistake. Aha, look at the rest of verse 2-1. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Oh, oh man. He's up there intercessing for me. He loved that. It's beautiful. Thanks be to God, our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us freedom from our sin through the blood of his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Third concern that John addressed in his epistle was false teaching. False teaching. Look at 2.26. 2.26. These things I have written to you concerning those who tried to deceive you. Those who tried to deceive you. You remember when Paul went to the Ephesian elders back in verse 20, uh, chapter 20 of the book of Acts? He predicted that ravenous wolves would come in when he departed. Ravenous wolves would come in and they would try to tear apart the work that he had accomplished through Jesus Christ. These are false teachers. But he said, they wouldn't come in from outside. They'd come from within. They would come from within. And that's the scary part. These false teachers rose up within the church-owned ranks and they polluted the gospel message. What did they pollute it with? Philosophy. Philosophical trends. These wolves were infecting the church with false doctrine. They were perverting the fundamental apostolic teacher. These, these false teachers advocated new ideas. What did they become known as? Gnosticism. Absolutely. Gnosticism. This became known as Gnosticism from the Greek word about knowledge, which is Gnostic. Gnosticism. There were two huge fights in the old in the New Testament when in the early church. Two enormous fights. One we read about in the book of Galatians, when Paul finally wrestled the truth and got it going against the Judaizers, which was the first heresy that came in the church. Another heresy came in the church. It was Gnosticism. Guess what, folks? It has never left the church. Gnosticism is still alive and well here in the 21st century. It has this capacity to even transcend time and exist because it morphs and it changes and it comes as something else. Gnostic thinking is simply human potential. It's a human potential movement. Gnosticism focuses on man's, man's problems, man's need, man's happiness. It has the mantra of enlightenment, thinking that things are going to be okay the more I know. The more I know, things will be great. If you have knowledge, you're going to be great. If you're intelligent, ooh, and you know, ooh, ooh. I just like saying that. I don't know why I don't say that. They think that the human tragedy has nothing to do with sin. It has nothing to do with sin. Their answer to life's troubles, their answer to life's inequities, listen to that, inequities is knowledge. That's their answer. And it's still prevalent today, gang. It's still prevalent. Another thing that John addresses is the lack of love for their fellow believers that characterizes false teachers, especially when they react against somebody who doesn't like what they're saying. Sound familiar? You're entitled to your opinion as long as it agrees with my opinion. If your opinion doesn't agree with my opinion, I don't want to talk to you. How dare you have a different opinion than me? This separated the believers. 
This separated believers because there were some who remained faithful to the apostolic teaching, the teaching of the cross and Jesus crucified. Some remained that way, but others followed this doctrine because they had itchy ears. They started following these other false doctrines, and the heresy just continued to go, and it was so dangerous that the church became in turmoil. So John, in his loving and gentle way, with his unquestionable apostolic authority, sends a letter to the church, sends a letter that we're going to read. And finally, the fourth reason that John wrote this letter can be found in John 5, in verse 13. John 5, verse 13, the apostle writes these words, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Oh, I love that. He writes this to believers for the purpose of assurance. Purpose of assurance of salvation that you may know you have eternal life. To know that you know. Have you ever noticed the talk about last days lately? Have you ever noticed that that seems to be ramping up? The last days because of what's happening in the world, not just here in the United States. But everybody's interested in end time scenarios. Everybody's interested in prophecy. Oh, let's do the book of Revelations. Let's look at end time prophecy. You know, the Lord is coming. Is this the end? Well, why not? Look what's happening in our world. Not only do we have a coronavirus pandemic, it's a pestilence that causes death. And flowing forth from this, I read all kinds of articles that suggest a one-world order, a cashless society, a one-world government. That's all written in the book of Revelation. It's all written towards the last days. A cashless society. And then you look at what's happening in our own country. A simple, it wasn't simple, I'm not making light of it, but it was an egregious act of social injustice, and look where we are, anarchy. Anarchy. With all this talk of the possibility of the end coming, some people are actually afraid of dying now because they're not 100% sure they're going to heaven. They don't think they're going to make it. They think they've fallen short. They question them, am I ready? Have you ever questioned your salvation? Have you ever been afraid that you might not be saved? I mean, if you were going to die in the next several minutes, are you sure you would go to heaven? Well, John is going to tell us, and he wants you to be sure today. Not next week, not the week after, but today. He wants you to be sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that salvation is yours by faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. By faith and faith alone. Because Jesus died for that privilege that you have, eternal life. So John says, I'm going to give you evidence that points that you're a true believer. Now, should you not be a true believer, this is one way to get to know who God is. This is one way to get to know who Jesus is by following a simple step that John gives us here in his epistle. How do I know I'm truly saved? Well, the first thing is, I've confessed my sin to God. We read it. I'll read it again. John 1, verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we know that. We see that. Confess my sin. I simply pray, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And my sin has separated me from you. Please forgive my sin. Cleanse my heart from all unrighteousness. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Be my Lord and Savior. And you pray that prayer with all honesty and sincerity. You're saved. You're saved. 
The Apostle Paul said, if you, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Peter on the Pentecost day said, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's calling upon the name of the Lord, confessing your sin. Confessing your sin. When, when you confess, God forgives. When you confess, God forgives. And that's the good news we've been waiting for. Secondly, I know I'm truly saved if I obey Jesus' commands in chapter 2, verse 3. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. John makes it clear that obedience is partial evidence. It's not the full evidence, it's partial evidence. John emphasizes that the true believer lives a life obedience to the commands of the Lord Jesus. What has he commanded us to do? I can think of three things that he commanded us to do. Anybody give me one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. That's one. Two. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. Three. Believe upon him. Believe upon him. You know you're truly saved. This demonstrates to us partially. Third. I know I'm truly saved if I believe that Jesus Christ came to earth as God in human flesh. Look at 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Demonstrate true evidence of salvation through faith that Jesus and Jesus alone is God. He came, he walked the earth, he died on the cross for my sin. He was God incarnate, just like John said in the very first chapter of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. And then you scroll down to 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, the living Word of God, I must believe. That Jesus was the only one who could die in my place and pay the price for my sin. Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. He is the perfect Lamb of God, and he takes away all the sin of the world. And we have to believe that he is the only way to heaven. The only way to heaven. John says if you believe these things, you can be assured of your faith. You can be assured. You can settle it once and for all. It's a done deal. I don't have to worry about it anymore. And finally, he says this in 3.10, I know I'm truly saved if I love other believers. True saving faith manifests itself in a sincere love for others. Look at 3.10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Love is so much more than a feeling. True love is not measured in words. True love is measured in actions as we love one another. You might say, well, what type of action demonstrates this true state of my salvation? Simply put, we're to love one another. Jesus said, love one another. But then he put a caveat on it. As I have loved you. As I have loved you. How did Jesus love everyone? unconditionally, sacrificially, giving himself. We show one another that love 
when we make sacrifices to help them in their time of need. When we love others conditionally, there's no strings attached. I love you because Jesus loves me. I'm not looking for anything in return. I'm just loving you because that's who I am in Christ. That's who I am. As we help others in their time of need, we demonstrate that authenticness of God, that we're God's children. Are you actively loving others? I think you are. I see it in this church. I see the way we love one another and with a true, heartfelt, spiritual love. It's a beautiful thing. But that's a piece of the puzzle too, so that we can be sure that we're truly saved. Now, I'm not saying this as a legalistic, works-oriented program for salvation. You don't hear that coming from this podium. If you do, throw something at me. You're not going to hear that coming from this podium. We are saved only and solely by grace through faith, not of works. But James tells us that the works will demonstrate our faith. I can see my faith at work when I'm working and I'm doing other things for other people. I can see the faith working in you as you're reaching out and loving each other and helping each other in your times of need. I see God's faith working miraculously and doing wonderful things. That says volumes to me. This says volumes to me. No, this is not legalistic. It's certainly not works-oriented. Only by faith can you enter. Only by faith can you stand. Not by human endeavor, but by the blood of the Lamb. So John says, I'm going to write this letter because I want you to have fullness of joy in your hearts. I want you to know that joy that is inexpressible, like Peter said. I want that to be part of your body and part of your physicalness. And I want that to exude from you at all times. I want people to see that joy in you. I'm writing this letter so you can be free from sin. Free from sin. If you say you don't sin, you're a liar. And worse, you make God a liar. But if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Go right back and confess your sin. Go right back on your knees and confess it. I'm writing to you so you will know what false teachers look like. And when they come in and rise their head, you'll go, no. I won't accept that. When somebody tries to tell you you have to work for your salvation, no, I won't accept that. I am saved by grace and grace alone through the faith in Jesus Christ. And finally, he's writing this letter so you can rest easy, my friends. My beloved brothers and sisters, how I've missed you. You can rest easy that you have salvation. Should the Lord come calling you tonight, you're going to be with him. And you will be with him forever. You have salvation. And that nothing can take that away from you. Nothing can take that away from you. That's why John wrote this epistle. And man, I'll tell you what, I hope you're as excited as I am to start studying it. Because there is some excitement here in what John is writing. Lastly, the prophet Isaiah writes these words in Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 10. And 11. Let me read them to you. Isaiah, the prophet, is speaking. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void." But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. What's God saying here? He's saying that he's sending his word with a purpose. He is sending his word out today with a purpose. 
a purpose to our hearts, a purpose to your hearts. He is sending his word out today. He is sending it out knowing that it will not return void. Why? Because there is power in the word of God. Power to God to salvation. There is power in his word, and his word will accomplish whatever he chooses it to accomplish in your life. Now, why did I tell you that? Because I am jumping up and down with excitement because I know what's coming in the epistle of 1 John. I know the excitement that we're going to have, and God's words will not return void if you accept it as it is God's word. Not as Dave's word, but as God's word. God wants to speak to each heart represented here and the hearts that will be coming in. All these lessons that we study in this first epistle are going to change us and move us and and help us to come closer to God. Help us to have fellowship with him. Fellowship one to another. And by the time we're completed with this study, we're going to experience a greater walk than we've ever experienced in our life. We're going to be closer to God than we've ever been before when we listen to him and we glean from him what he wants us to do. And then we make the necessary changes in our lives. You're going to know Jesus like you've never known him before. We're going to receive new power over sin. We're going to be able to identify false teachers. We're going to be able to have total assurance of salvation. God's word won't return void. It will accomplish what God sent it to do for the purposes that John wrote this epistle wrote this epistle. There are great times ahead for us as a church, wonderful times ahead for us as a church as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, as we draw closer to him, closer to each other. Watch what God will do. Watch what he will do through his spirit in this church, in you. Watch what he will do as we continue and develop our relationship with the Lord, as he draws you ever closer. Don't be hesitant. As he's drawing you closer, say, yes, Lord, I want. Yes, Lord, I'm coming. Come close to the Lord as he draws you. Don't resist. Don't dig your heels and say no. Don't hold your breath and say no. Let him draw you by his spirit. Let him draw you into that close relationship. Let him minister unto you as only he can through his words. Through his words. Oh, we're in for the time of our lives, saints. And I am so excited to be starting this this, this book, this study, it's really a powerful study. So excited that I'm going to give you homework. Your homework is take 10 minutes to read the entire letter just to get a feel, just to see what John is saying. And then zero in on chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And he says, that which we've heard, that which we've seen, that which we've handled concerning the word of life was manifested to us. Oh, I get chills just saying that. I get chills just thinking about that, of John walking and seeing with Jesus. And that's what this, this movie, The Chosen, has done for me. That's what it has done. It has drawn me close. I'm like enamored with this. I've only watched it twice. I can't keep up with Mark. He's watched it three times, four times. But I, I got to ca- keep watching it. I can't get enough of this because it depicts Jesus in a way that I think that's true. That's my Jesus. And it's scripture-based, totally scripture-based. I love it. I can't wait. But read, read ahead and see what the Lord would say to you. You guys make my heart sore. You guys make my heart sore with gladness. You guys overwhelm me with your love. You are assured. This has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Thanks for tuning in. Sometimes it's helpful to know what your boundaries are, 
what the acceptable parameters are for living your life. In this book, John made it clear to those he was writing to the differences or contrasts between light and dark, truth versus lies, and Christ versus the Antichrist. These are opposites of one another, because like all of life, there is a constant reminder of good and evil, of sin and righteousness. Throughout God's Word, He provides clues and instructions of what things are good and right. He also gives warning of what's wrong and sinful. So John's writing is a reminder of the boundaries God's put in place for your benefit. This is not any kind of punishment or consequence. On the contrary, it's to give you more freedom and to allow you to live life to the fullest, here on earth and beyond. Is your heart waging war between these things that John has written about? Are you wrestling between loving the world and loving God? If you'd like to talk to someone about the things that you've heard today, please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number, 609-884-5821. Keep looking to Scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. Feel free to listen to more messages like this on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Be sure to join us again next time here on Assure Hope. Rescue.